0: The spin-off podcast network.
1: Postgraduate programs at the University of Auckland Business School help you expand your future options. Whether you want to switch careers or advance in your current field, New Zealand's number one business school can help you get there. Unlock your potential today at auckland.ac.nz/business.
0: The fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No my hooky my, My guest today is Joe Norris, the Chief Content Officer at Stuff, and we're sort of rush releasing this uh, because it's the the conversation happens at the back of uh, their huge announcement yesterday, which is the launch of three regional paywalled mastheads in the press, the Waikato Times and the artist formerly known as the Dominion Post, now just known as The Post. And this is a really, you know, I mentioned this in the conversation, but this is is a huge historic moment for staff as an organization, which has roots that stretch back more than 150 years in this country and has always, up to this point, Charged for access to its its regional journalism and delivered that distributionally through through print formats. Now it's doing the same uh, for for the digital formats. It's it's late to the party, you know. Like the the big international mastheads that are furthest along this race are at least a decade down this road, and and even locally, the the Herald is. Pretty much bang on four um, years ahead, and and you know has has done pretty well, and and with the, with these things like the reason why the best time to have launched it is as long ago as possible is because you learn a lot, so they are late, um, but that does not mean it it, it won't work and. Yeah, while there have been rumours flying around about this for for a little while, you know, at one point I heard that they were going to launch as as many as ten different regional mastheads, which I think would have been potentially a, a quite confused and and hard to manage proposition. Uh, the the way this has rolled out, and I think that there is just a, a logic to it, and uh, and even down to the sort of look and feel and the fact that there will these will be brand new sites but how's this content this won't be a reskin of the current stuff website so yes you know, stuff is, i think you know and i'm sure they would acknowledge not had a, the greatest kind of hygiene with its digital properties lately so i think you know to to know that these three properties are going to be new and sort of optimized for the the kind of current technological best practice i think will will work well for them so this episode really is uh, me drilling into to the the sort of fine detail of how this will operate and what the thinking is that drove it. Uh, jo is one of my favorite people to talk to in journalism. She's a former editor of the press, um, spent a long time working for the Dominion and then the Dominion Post. So understands actually in a very deep level the relationship with a, re- between a regionally defined publication and, and the community which it, it serves. Uh, so, just the perfect person to to be driving this, and you know, as much as anything, you just have to admire anyone in this era who's taking a bold and and differentiated swing into into a media market. Whether it works or not, that's that's kind of you know, time time will tell. Time will tell. But uh, but at the very least, they've really thought hard about it, and and um, and you know, to to be through the sort of rumor swirling and. Uh, and into the actual launch of these things tomorrow uh, is 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 a really exciting position to be in so we talk about that and then detour a little bit into to sort of the her why for journalism and uh, some of the things that she's sort of learned and some of the the really big roles she's had over over the last 10 years uh, it's it 's a real newsy one it 's a real journalism one. if you're into that kind of thing, I think you'll get a lot out of it. So this is Joe Norris, Chief Content Officer for Stuff on the Fold Dequa <laughs> Joe, and welcome to the fold.
1: ora, Duncan. Thank you for having me
0: um, i'm so I'm so pleased you could make the time this is this is obviously a huge day. You know, not just for the year, but this is a a historic day for stuff. Do you want to start by maybe just kind of talking us through, in your words, what it was you you announced last night at Parliament, of all places?
1: Yeah, look, thank you, Duncan. It's really great to be able to finally talk about this publicly. Uh, for more than a year, we've been really thinking through how we want to continue to connect with our subscribers across the country in a way that's really relevant to them and to their lives. And so yesterday, uh, we were really pleased to be, announced, to be able to announce that we will be launching digital mastheads uh, for some of our really strong heritage publications and the newspapers that are really beloved by our readers and subscribers across the country. So we've launched digital mastheads for the press, um, which is obviously a really strong South Island publication, uh, for the Wakato Times, which covers Wakato and the Bay of Plenty, and um, for the Post, which is um, the the new name for the paper of the capital, uh, formerly known as the Dominion Post.
0: And, you know, the, this is like, this is you're, you're relatively late to, to the paywall concept before, prior to now and uh, you You had a sort of fairly similar model to our membership model voluntary subscriptions, which works to a point but is is harder to, to operate i think at at the scale at which stuff operates what, Why was it that it that it took you so long to kind of get to this point and and what what sort of prompted the, this this particular approach to it?
1: Yeah, we were very careful uh, because we wanted to take an approach that we knew would work for our existing audiences and would help us maintain that really live, bold, spirited and nationally relevant journalism that we publish every day on stuff. And to make sure that it was, continues to be as accessible to as many people as possible, including audiences that are not necessarily able to access paid content. But we also wanted to make sure that we did have um, a a different type of subscriber offering for our existing subscribers and those who want to subscribe to our products and to receive it in a format that's relevant to them. So we looked very carefully at models around the world. We also looked at what was working locally and, and what wasn't working locally and made sure that as we do this, we do that in a considered way. And we talked to our subscribers as well, so we spend a lot of time researching, talking to people who already pay us for content, uh, to make sure that when we did go to market, it was something that was relevant to them.
0: I mean, it's 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 quite an interesting approach you've taken, and you know, in some ways, it's the inverse, or or, or certainly like it's a it's a different approach to the Herald's premium, where they 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 put their big sort of national. Um, boldface name reporters behind the paywall and other forms of content in front of it. You know, regional news or re- or kind of regionally targeted news is is considered one of the tragedies of the internet era. What what makes you confident that you'll succeed with this approach, where you keep the the sort of the big national stories free and in front of the pay, paywall, but have more kind of regionally specific ones behind it?
1: Yeah, what you'll see, Duncan, uh, across stuff and across our mastheads is increasingly differentiated content. So content that is very much in the tone of stuff that we know that our national audience respond to, and then content that is really relevant to both local audiences but also topic audiences. So the post, for example, will be strongly focused on politics, on business and information that people need to understand nationally that comes from the capital Whereas the content that we'll be publishing into the press, we're very much focused on the South Island. And people already pay us for that content. We know the demand is there. We've got a very, very strong subscriber base in the South Island for the press currently. But we do know that people want options beyond print. And so we have a high level of confidence um, that there will be existing subscribers who will choose to opt in for the digital subscription, but also new subscribers who have told us they want
0: to subscribe and that, that we need to give them some options. Looking at the post particularly, with the with the announcement, you know, you made reference to that gallery team, which is, I uh, you know, you could always argue these things, but but you know, certainly in the running for you know maybe the best in in the country, is and and that coverage has been a real bedrock of the the stuff site. Is that now going to go behind the the paywall of the post, or you know, how will you, ha- or will there be some kind of ratio of it? that 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 sits in front of the paywall at stuff like how will you manage the, the kind of complexities of the sort of national versus Wellington specificity of of that uh, group
1: you yeah, one of the benefits we have is that we have um Obviously, stuff has been going for more than 20 years. We've got really deep insights into our audience and the kind of content that our audience expects. And what that allows us to do is to start to understand the, con- the type of political content that the stuff audience wants to consume and then the type of content that will work in a more lean-back format, which will be our print edition and our digital edition of the post. Um, so you'll, you'll see deeper analysis, uh, the kind of content that you want to read on a second day of a story. that's broken um, during the previous day. And one of the examples I've been using in the last um, uh, couple of days, uh, just simply because it's live, is um, you know, a midday uh, press conference around uh, tax reform, for example. Obviously breaks, that will pub- be published immediately on stuff with our team of gallery reporters covering that or if it's announced in Auckland, um, our, our, our Auckland team. Um, the next day, we readers expect to understand more context, more analysis and have an opportunity to uh review some of the content that they perhaps didn't have time to during the day. Um, Because while people like you and I are constantly, every day, all day, clicking to refresh hundreds of times per day, not everybody has the the opportunity to do that. And so they need to receive the content in a format that works for them.
0: So, you know, in terms of the – will these publications sort of start with existing subscriber bases, i.e. will this be sort of bundled for free with the existing print subscriptions?
1: Yeah, so the pricing plan um, is that uh, if you are an existing subscriber to one of our newspapers for more than five days per week, then you'll receive all access to our digital subscriptions as part of that package. If you're not a subscriber, why not, firstly, but secondly, you know there are some people who are not, um, then they have an option to opt in straight away, and we've got introductory pricing for those people and the long-term pricing
0: plans as well. What are those pricing plans?
1: So the introductory offer is $1.99 per week for a new digital subscriber, um, and that's a 16-week offer, and that, then they would move on to the standard pricing, which is $5 per week. If they want to um, subscribe to the entire network, which is the three publications at this stage, then that would be $7.50 a week.
0: So that, in terms of the, the sort of structure of the pricing, puts you above the the New Zealand Herald's um, offering, what what makes you sort of confident that you can achieve that premium especially in you know thinking about the the Waikato times and the, like a, a sort of a smaller market potentially which does have some crossover with that big big monster um, up the motorway
1: Yeah, we're really competitive um, in that particular market. Uh, The Waikato Times outperforms the Herald in the Waikato market because it produces content that's relevant to Waikato people, and we know that's of value to them. And it's also content that they can't get anywhere else. Um, We have a number of national platforms operating in New Zealand that all compete with one another, some free, um, some paid. Um, but in the in the markets where we have existing subscriber bases, we are very very strong, and we know that that content is of value to people.
0: How important is this to, to Stuff's future? Is is the not just the launch of it, not the symbol, just the symbolism of it, but the actual financial success of it to to the kind of future of this company?
1: Oh, look, I really love this question. This this is a really important part of our strategy. We um, uh, we have always known that we would want to, to, at some point, move to a point where we had this option available to subscribers, and um, we, you know, we have a, a mix of revenue, which means that we do we are a long-term sustainable company. But it's important that we do continue to diversify and that we grow our red revenue from digital subscribers.
0: And do, do you have a sort of expectations in terms of what what what's a number you'd like to have by the end of the year in terms of not just sort of porting across your existing print subscribers, but you know, sort of brand new uh, digital subscribers across the network?
1: Yeah, we're not going to talk about numbers publicly at this stage, but obviously you don't go into an endeavour like this um, with the level of investment required without having targets. Um, so we do have targets. We are really aspirational around this. Um, and But it's important to note that we have a, a large subscriber base now, so we feel really comfortable that people... Uh, are prepared to pay for our content it 's worth paying for it's great journalism we 've got more journalists than any other company across New Zealand, and we know that that's of value to people and and that our journalism is valued
0: so just to kind of not to get too technical on it but but I do think these things are sort of material to to how it will interact with the existing you know traffic gusher that is stuff. <laughs> yeah, because you're, what you're trying to, to create is essentially new behaviour patterns, um, which is that rather than just going to stuff, what will the new URLs be incidentally just before I... Uh,
1: so we've got the press.co.nz, the post.co.nz and WaikatoTimes.co.nz. Um, if anybody types in any of the URLs that we've used across our history, they will be redirected um, and they'll end up in the right place. Um, so your question, I think, is around what will the interaction look like? And I think the really important point is that we would love people to be using both um, Stuff.co.nz all day, every day with that live dynamic always-on content and then the more reflective, additionalised content that will appear in their masthead. So we, this is not an either-or. Uh, we really think that this is an offering that if you want to stay informed in New Zealand and across the news um, and understanding the stories behind the news, then this is a great option for you.
0: So for example, like one of the things that the the Herald does is uses its front page as a kind of effectively a sales tool to to uh push towards not just uh not just uh premium, but also its sort of sub brands, the likes of Viva and OneRoof and and so on. Stuff does that to an extent with with Ensemble. Um but will this also kind of I will you see or you be able to use If you're a full noise subscriber, will you ultimately be able to use the Stuff homepage to navigate towards the the big stories uh, through on the sub-sites?
1: Yeah, so our user journeys will be different from our competitors, and that's partly because we didn't want that um, dynamic where you have um, a site that becomes one thing in front of the wall and another behind the wall, it can be quite confusing for users. So we've deliberately made these separate sites with different experiences. And you subscribe to the subscriber product because you understand that product and that's what you want. Um, and I think that takes away some of the schizophrenia that can occur in front of a paywall when you're trying to do both jobs with one site.
0: Are you concerned about creating new behavior patterns? Like we, we've come out of an era where distribution was not was was kind of a, a relatively solved problem. Uh between search and and sort of link forward social, it was it was relatively easy to acquire a new audience and I yeah' you know, we're lucky we launched the spin- off when we did because to try and find uh, the kind of uh, cheap to free traffic you know, built our audience now would be quite difficult if you're not using stuff to to prompt a particular stories as opposed to uh, the broad brand messaging. Are you at all concerned about trying to create new behaviour patterns in quite a different uh, internet era dynamically?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's always a leap of faith when you launch um, what is a new experience for people, but keeping in mind these are not new brands. So these people have had a relationship with these uh, brands for more than 160 years. There is um, no bigger brand in uh, Christchurch or the South Island than the press. It's very deeply understood. So there's no awareness problem that we're trying to tackle here. Um, And it's just simply encouraging people to to follow a slightly different user journey. Uh, And the other thing that's probably important to note is that people have been typing in dompost.co.nz for a long, long time, press.co.nz has existed for more than 15 years. So this will, um, and that will take people to the, the, the destination that we want them to end up on, which is these new websites.
0: Are, they, are these brand new websites or do they have a re- relationship to the kind of current stuff platform in terms of the look and feel?
1: They're brand new websites with a new look and feel and we're, we're really looking forward to uh, people seeing them for the first time. Oh, that's exciting.
0: Yeah, because yeah. as I mentioned before we got on, I think that Design Works have done a fantastic job with the sort of updated but still kind of heritage touching aspects of the the new mastheads.
1: Yeah, look, it was really important to us that this did reflect the heritage of these brands, and um, these are newspaper brands, and people understand newspapers. Um, people who are old like me have had newspapers as part of their lives, you know, from the time we were born. So it was really important that we didn't um, throw away that legacy.
0: Now, just turning to, there are a bunch of um, major sort of daily and kind of important regional uh, newspapers which aren't captured uh, by these kind of big three that you've singled out. I saw Tim Murphy um, saying that that they were going to sort of be rebranded as a sort of a Southland stuff, not a stuff Southland, uh, you know, for, for example. What is happening to, to those publications in, in print and digital formats?
1: Yeah, so uh, our print formats are unchanged. Uh, we're still thinking through the phasing of the rollout of further products and we will uh, let people know as soon as we're able to talk to them about the timing of further rollouts. But, um, you're yeah, very much looking at... Um, uh, um, some further announcements over the next few months. So,
0: so it's possible that there that there might actually be, you know, further regionalised uh, brands to to roll out attached to some of those kind of historic mastheads.
1: Yeah. So, like our um, metro brands, we do have again a strong subscriber base um, in a number of regions outside um, the three main metro centres.
0: Right. Well, you know, how much consideration was there? given to putting a paywall around stuff itself. You know, like it, it's interesting to me that, you know, given that, you know, obviously there are a, a whole bunch of different um, sort of pay models around, but the the sort of soft paywall is probably the most common internationally where you have a, a single brand and one or two storeys free and then then you hit the wall and people play with the the meter to see how many, um stories you get free before you, you start to have to pay and stuff is just such a big established popular brand that contains all of your regionals but how much consideration did you give towards actually going down that path as opposed to this kind of uh you know certainly more more challenging or, or, or more innovative model
1: Uh, We we have looked at all of the options, and um, and, as you rightly say, that is a model that exists internationally. But internationally, there are also other really successful models around um, digital subscriptions for. Um, even very, very small regional communities, which work really effectively because people value the very specific niche content that is within those products. Um, so that's the the option we opted for. Um, we put a lot of thought into all of the alternatives and we continue to. So we, um, you know, we've been quite clear we never say never around a paywall for stuff, but it's certainly not within our consideration at this point.
0: Um, I, I do actually want to to talk about some other things and your career, but I just one one last question on that on the sort of specificities of how this will function. Uh, will the regional titles essentially have a bundle of journalists attached to them who largely write exclusively for those titles, or will there be a, essentially a sort of a sorting mechanism whereby, you know, for example, some of your national correspondents might actually end up writing both exclusively for some of the regional titles where they happen to be based, but also uh, national stories? And and how will you sort of resolve things where they are tightly tied regionally, but there is a big national interest in them, as is so frequently the case with stories?
1: Yeah, yeah. we've had a lot of these types of questions um, over the last 24 hours. Um, And the answer is a, a mixture of the two. So there will be some journalists who write almost exclusively for uh, their home masthead as you put it um and that they they are people who we know that our subscribers really strongly relate to and uh will are prepared to pay for their content because it's journalism that they value there'll be others um whose content is also valued but we also see benefit in putting it um Uh, in front of the paywall effectively. And I'm thinking of someone like our fantastic climate editor, Eloise Gibson, who writes really strong public interest journalism that we think is really appropriate for that large audience that we we get to, Stuff.co.nz. And
0: the regional space is sort of suddenly kind of getting a bit spicier in the sense that um, Peter Newport and Tim Marden recently announced a Quite ambitious sounding uh, network, uh, which is, feels very early stage, but but claimed to have you know the support of uh, Minister Jackson and the opposition broadcasting spokesperson Melissa Lee. Part of the sort of raison d'etre of the the new RNZ funding is supposedly to kind of dial up the regions. Firstly, have you received or sought any kind of support from government? uh, associated with this move and, and, and how would you look upon the idea of, you know, potentially one or, or more kind of entities pouring resource into something that you're now attempting to to charge for and, 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 uh, potentially, you know, either giving it away for free in RNZ's case or, or, uh, you know, creating competing products out of thin air with government yeah, um- support.
1: We've we've watched both initiatives with interest. Um, we, uh, as a general rule, it's uh, would be interesting public policy um, for the government to fund uh, or either directly or indirectly a competitor to compete with the private sector. It would be an interesting evolution, and we would watch that with interest. Um, we know having operated in regional New Zealand for more than 150 years in many regions um, that it is uh, 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 there can be challenges in terms of uh, creating sustainable models so, and um, but we're very much committed to the regions we've got uh, uh, journalists in uh, all of our newsrooms in the regions as well as a, a combined regional team that supports them um, and I think you know we're really optimistic that we'll be able to continue to operate in that way
0: the Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out of home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today.
1: New Zealand's number one business school wants to help you unlock your potential. At the University of Auckland Business School, learn to innovate, research and collaborate with business leaders to drive real change. Join the business school that's doing things differently and find your passion at the University of Auckland. Check out auckland.ac.nz forward business to find the study option for you.
0: I wondered if you could start, and this will be quite a gear shift from, from the intricacies <laughs> of the um, of the the new products. But but just tell me why why you personally were kind of hauled into journalism in the first place.
1: Oh gosh, that's such an interesting question. These are definitely much harder questions, Duncan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um,
1: I, I'm just casting my mind back.
0: Uh,
1: I, I think um, I always came from a arts background and I um, was really encouraged by my family to think about society we had a, a, you know my, my father was a deeply creative person um, and both of my parents had a strong interest in community and society generally so I think um, I, I did an English degree um, started a music degree and then started to think. Well, gosh, none of these seem to be leading to <laughs> really strong careers. So journalism was probably something I fell into and because it was a natural confluence of, of all of those things. Um, but as soon as I started training, I trained at uh, what was then AIT in Auckland, um, it just felt really right. And I think probably I'm just a naturally curious person. I love hearing people's stories, um, like many Journalists who start their careers in print. I'm an introvert, um, and I but I like to absorb information and then distill and synthesise that. So um, and it hasn't got boring, <laughs> and here we are more than two decades later. So,
0: <laughs> and and yeah. in terms of you know the these new products, there's a, there's a bit of a connection there, and that you you were editor of the press. I think uh, the deputy or associate editor of the Post, or what is now known as the Post. What do you sort of? Because I feel like there are things that, whether it's journalists or people who've only worked at more national publications, wouldn't understand about the relationship of a geographically defined community to a publication. What 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 came out of those roles for you?
1: Oh, that's such a beautiful question. Um, you're right. I started my career at what was the Dominion, and I remember I, I was um, you know young, just twenty, I think, and. Um, I was catching the bus one day down from Korori down to our office in Bulcott Street, and I was just like a kid, and I felt like I hardly knew anything about the world, and there was a person sitting opposite me who I took to be a businessman, and he was reading The Dominion, and he was reading my story. And it was the strangest experience for me to realise the power that journalists have to um, inform their community, And he was this man at a different life stage, different set of life experiences, being informed by the work that I did. And that, um, you know, that, that travel has travelled right throughout my career where I've been really aware that the decisions we make as journalists um, in the story selection, the, the, the range of sources that we speak to, that actually has a direct impact. And you can see that impact straight away. And when I became the editor of the press in 2012, it was immediately after the earthquakes. The city was still rocking. Our building in um, the the centre of Christchurch was one of the few that was occupied, and around us was rubble. There were still tanks on the corners preventing people coming into different parts of the CBD. And just that period, that five-year period, was just incredible, where we were covering every day this incredible heartbreak. Um, The community trying to recover people who had recovered and wanted to move on from the quakes and and those that were still profoundly impacted. And that was just one of the greatest privileges of of my life to be able to work deeply uh, in that community and to work alongside it um, for that period. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, Duncan, but working deeply in a community, there is no greater privilege for a journalist and I still really feel very, very strongly about the power of local journalism.
0: No, that absolutely answers my question, and and in some ways, you what know, Well, what I'm curious about is that you're you're a journalist who also went uh, from that position at the press to lead Christchurch NZ, which is a sort of a regional development and and events type organisation that um, that exists at most uh, councils and. In so doing, you are part of you know you're at the head of an organisation that is actually heavily scrutinised by and interacts with journalism in a way that I think a lot of lifer journalists, um, even those that go into a comms role, they don't understand. You know, you you would have a very specific experience of you know flipping to a to a different perspective on what's covered. Like, what what did you kind of learn about? Journalism from being on the other end of it for in a, quite a high profile profile role for a period of time.
1: Yeah, well, it was fascinating um, going from uh, creating the news to being in the news. And uh, because Christchurch NZ at that time was a new agency, we were being set up with a specific purpose. We were really high profile, um, and I also had the quite funny experience where. Um, my co- my former colleagues at that time, who are now my colleagues again, um, were really interested in, in what I was doing and so I became quite newsworthy for a while <laughs> and it was an interesting experience and again, I think it reinforced that point that I made earlier, that the things that we do as journalists have a real impact and sometimes the impact is not immediately seen and I often like to remind our journalists that sometimes when you throw a grenade, you need to be prepared to, to see what the impact is. You can't just walk away and expect to have no accountability for the impact of your stories. Um, what I did see as a consequence of that role is just how powerful news brands are. And there would be a discussion in almost every room I would be in of what if this ended up on the front page of the press. And I'd always laugh to myself thinking, well, it's probably not going to. is <laughs> not too, from the press here. But <laughs> yeah, this is not newsworthy, please. <laughs> and also to give um, some of my colleagues in local government the context that um, actually a news story is not the end of the world. It actually can be really important to get these, these things out there and um, the news cycle's quick and as long as you're transparent and open and honest, that actually that's the best way to influence positive outcome and understanding with the public. So it was quite nice to be able to influence from the inside to some extent, um, but local government is certainly a very special environment and I have the greatest respect for the people who choose to work there. Um, but I'm certainly pleased to be
0: back in the media. What was it that drew you back ultimately?
1: Uh, oh, look, I think it was um, an opportunity to to take the role that I that I now have at Stuff, which is an incredible role. Chief Content Officer is really, I think, one of the very best jobs in, in the country. Um, I get to work with incredible journalists, but also as part of a, a executive team that's really innovative. We're really willing to try things, as, as you can see with with the announcements we've made in the past couple of days. And, um, you know, a really deep respect for the work that Sinead has done, um, both pre and post the MBO and the courageous decisions that she's prepared to make.
0: And you know how's how's it been? This is sort of related to the the Christchurch question, and that you know we, there's a there's a new media reporter in town, uh, Shane Curry, just just a who's cub, um, <laughs> earning his stripes, uh, who's quite enjoyed um, in a very kind of you know way that's. Certainly, at times, looks helpful to the, the Herald's kind of business interests, uh, reporting on some aspects of what's going on at stuff that would be under your purview. Thinking of Gonggate, but also the sort of um, leaks uh, around the the uh, the paywall. How, how does how does that sort of make you feel? Because obviously, like part of journalism is you you, you do thrive on leaks, but you want to have to feel like your organisation has is all kind of tied together and leaks are on some level a suggestion that there are divided loyalties, uh, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, how, how's that sort of sat with you, especially at a time when you're building towards something that is really apocal for the organisation?
1: Yeah, you, you, the fold listeners can't see. I'm smiling right now. Um, it, is, it is an irony, isn't it, that, uh, as you say, journalists rely on leaks. We do encourage it of others and we do receive leaks and... Um, Act on information where we think it's newsworthy Um, Look I'm a a Realist and a pragmatist, journalists are Inherently curious, they're inherently gossips Um, I do, it is Disappointing when people leak Commercially sensitive information to Our competitors um, but I'm also a realist That it happens from time to time uh, my preference is, and I've said this to the team, is that if they are going to leak material, they leak it to our own journalists and that we have the opportunity to cover stories that are newsworthy first. And I would never prevent a journalist from covering a story that was newsworthy, um, that, that was about us. I completely accept that that um, I and my executive colleagues are fair game and that our journalists should be reporting on issues. Um, so look, Duncan, I I don't sweat this stuff. It, it happens. Um, it's my preference that it doesn't. But... Um And I think probably the other part of that question is where our competitors choose to report on us. I think I would encourage them to make sure that they 're doing it again for the right journalistic reasons and not simply to further the interests of their shareholders or or their owners um, and that they're actually doing it because it 's genuinely newsworthy <laughs> out of respect for their readers
0: yeah, yeah, um
1: I can see you're smiling well, now. I mean like
0: <laughs> some of this stuff is like it's not newsworthy. But it's quite fun, and you know that there's it's <laughs> you can see how uh, sometimes uh, these things get caught- caught up, but at the time they must be stressful um I'm great conscious that i've I've taken up quite a lot of your time, but I've just got a couple more more questions um my friend Rebecca who uh, runs on someone will asked me to ask about it, which is a publication. <laughs> Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> um, very- <laughs> just basically read a request here. But um, but it, that, is, that is a publication that staff bought probably, I think, 18 months ago now and seems to be really hitting its straps. How are the and, – and, you know, the Herald's recently put a paywall around Viva. I couldn't guess as to how that's going for them financially. But how are some of those kind of – not geographically defined brands like ensemble like sunday like the forever project how do they interact and 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 how does stuff see its relationship with those some of those kind of different mastheads interacting with this project and with their kind of longer term strategic goals
1: yeah, yeah. Well, um, the Ensemble question in particular is probably one for Rebecca to answer directly. Um, but is a great brand. I absolutely love the work that the team do. They're really on point. They really deeply understand the audience. They do have a membership programme um, that supports Ensemble, which is obviously part of the stuff stable. With respect to the um, uh, other vertical brands, we again, we're looking very carefully at what the opportunities are around those. Um, uh, they are strong... Commercially led av- av- advertising vehicles. So we need to be um, really mindful of that. That they are very important to our commercial partners.
0: Sure. Um,
1: that we create the right environments that people can advertise around. Um, whether they have read revenue opportunities, uh, we will continue to evaluate that as we move across the next twelve and twenty-four months.
0: And, and finally, uh, you know, unlike certain other large media uh, entities in our industry. The we we as in the, the spin-off and staff are both still party to the collective bargaining with the technology giants. I wondered if you could kind of uh, give an update on how those are tracking post uh, the the minister's announcements in in December.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, as, as you point out, we are part of the collective, so that is one for the collective to answer as a whole what, rather than us as an individual member. Um, but it is really important that we do move towards um, concluding a settlement with the platforms, uh, but we also consider it to be really important that the government legislates um, to ensure that everybody gets a fair go, whether they are part of the collective that we have formed or whether they are um, smaller entities or other entities who have chosen not to be part of the collective it's really important that the platforms pay for the content that we pay to produce and that we do in the public interest, um, and to, for for there to be any other resolution than that would be uh, grossly unfair, um, and would exacerbate the existing disproportionate power base that those platforms hold.
0: Beyond being unfair, like you know, how crucial is it to the financial sustainability of journalism? Do you think that? Uh, that the that there is some kind of compensation basis achieved, uh, you know, that, that mirrors I, I what's happened is, in, in Australia to some extent.
1: Yeah, it is part of this part of the solution, Duncan. I mean, I think any of us would be unwise to wholly rely on third parties for our ongoing um, future sustainability. Uh, and there are a lot of other dynamics at play. You know, AI and ChatGPT have uh, profoundly shifted. Um, the dynamic further, and that you know, there are issues that we're really thinking through quite deeply. Um, so, I think your question is 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 it this or or, or nothing? And it's this is just, um, just part of the revenue picture for us, but it is a, it is an important part. Um, but you know, as you've seen with with what we've announced in the last couple of days, we, we've very much got other strings to our bow.
0: Just finally, seeing, seeing as you, you raised a, a final final, uh, what what do you make of the rise of generative AI and the likes of ChatGPT? I see that Business Desk have already um, introduced a kind of uh, automated processing of NZX announcement, which looks like a very sharp use of it for them. Uh, is stuff experiencing in this space and and are you likely to see AI-generated products within the the staff stable in the next little while?
1: Yeah, we're looking at at the possibility of automation across a whole range of of areas, not just content generation, but um, process iterations, uh, process improvements, the way in which um, AI can uh, make us as efficient as possible, because again, that plays into the the sustainability of long-term models. Um, Using generative AI for content is not something that we are currently doing. Um, but I think there are some applications that we will start to consider very, very quickly, things like headline writing, which just makes some of that kind of uh, process work more efficient. Um, the the business desk experiment is an interesting one. It's one um, that a number of companies internationally have been using for quite some time, um, and it effectively is is um, creating stories from, from data sources. I think there will be... Uh, many, many more opportunities as the uh, generative technology improves and it becomes um, uh, more than it is currently. But we're watching very, very closely. We are starting to experiment in some areas and um, I think that will be inevitable for all media companies.
0: Now, Mahi, Joe, thank you so much for for joining us and and good luck with tomorrow. It's a a, a huge day and an achievement to have got to this this point. I wish you the, the best of luck in terms of the rollout from here.
1: Thank you so much, Duncan, and thank you to all of the listeners of The Fold. You're amazing. This podcast is amazing. I love listening every week, and it's lovely to finally have been asked.
0: <laughs> it's been too long, <laughs> but glad, glad to have had you on. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> See you. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at Omedia, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to Omedia for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis.